Dear congregation, in the last weeks, we have been considering these Advent messages, the first one being Abraham and Advent. And we saw in God's promise to Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that we are now recipients of that blessing and that on Christmas morning, the person who was at the head or the person who would bring this blessing would be the source of this blessing to all the nations was born. By the way, I know uh, sometimes a visual aid can be helpful, so I wrote out that timeline for you on the back, which you can study. There's uh, enough there to uh, study for a very long time. But there you have the flow of what, again, is often called redemptive history or the history of God's redemption with his people. And of course, it, it doesn't go far enough back, does it? Because of course, redemption begins in eternity past. But just uh, the covenant with Abraham, that middle blue line there, you see going on forever. Because that blessing has uh, eternal consequences and the Abrahamic covenant never stops, it never ceases. And the red line above it, we consider also Moses and Advent that God made a covenant with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. We call that the Sinai Covenant. And remember, that was a very different kind of covenant, wasn't it? That covenant was a burden. It was, a, it was difficult. The responsibility for keeping that covenant fell on the people of Israel themselves. And it had a specific purpose. It had a specific purpose not to bring them salvation, but to drive them to the Savior to see their own inability. Remember, to lock them up in that prison until they had nowhere else to turn except to cry out for a substitute, for a savior, somebody who would stand in their place. So just as in Abraham, we saw the blessing that came to all the nations, the blessing of a savior, the blessing of a, of a justification by the righteousness of Christ alone. That was the blessing that came to all the nations. So now in this covenant uh, that God made with Israel at Sinai, we were taught our need for a substitute. Israel failed. But Jesus succeeded. And we need to get into Christ. We have to get into Christ because then his success becomes our success. Moses then also led us to the cradle of Bethlehem. Just as Abraham led us to understand Advent in terms of that blessing that would come to all the nations. So Moses led us to, uh, in, in Advent to worship the Savior because he is the only answer for our own inability to keep God's laws and to measure up to his expectations. But the covenant with Moses, the covenant with Israel, was a temporary covenant. As again, I tried to represent that with that red line. It came to an end when the promised seed came on Christmas Day, the Mosaic Covenant, through the ministry of Jesus, was lifted off, was taken away. It had served its purpose. And what, had, what was uh, old was lifted off. It did not cancel the previous covenant God made with Abraham. right? And that we must always keep in mind. That blue line is still there. Now, this morning we hope to consider God's covenant with David. And you, I represented that with that uh, greenish sort of line on the bottom, which is also an everlasting covenant that God makes with his people. Well, I hope that's helpful to you. 
Let's turn then to the story that we have here regarding David's covenant. Well, David has arrived in 2 Samuel 7 to a, a good place. His, his uh, authority, his power is established. He's put down his enemies. He has a uh, claim now, an undisputed claim to the throne. And we're noting in verse 1 that God had given him rest from all his enemies. And now, my friends, we see David, and he begins to look about him, doesn't he? He has his eyes open, and he observes, and he sees and it says something about the heart of David. We can see that this morning, that the first thing that he sees is the dwelling place of God. And it's just the lowly tabernacle. In fact, it's not even a dwelling place. Well, it's a dwelling place, but it's certainly not a house. It's not a house that's established on a, on a foundation. It is just a tent. That's, of course, what tabernacle means. It is just a tent. And so David looks around him. And the king says to Nathan the prophet in verse 2, I dwell in a house of cedar. David was dwelling in a fantastic palace. Children, on your notes there, in what kind of house was David living? David was living in a palace, in a tremendous palace, a house of cedar, he calls it. But the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Now let's remember that the ark of God was the symbol of God's presence. Of course, the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. We know that. And the children of Israel knew that. Sometimes scholars read these books as if Israelites really thought that God lived in the ark or lived in the temple. Well, it's often, represent, it's often said that way, that, that the, how, the temple is God's dwelling place. But again, even uh, Solomon in his prayer, right, he says, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Right? He, they knew that. But the ark was a symbol of God's presence that God himself gave to his people. And now David says that God is dwelling in tents while I am living in this palace. And he saw the disconnect there. He saw that that was not appropriate. And so David has a plan. He has this plan to build God a temple. The uh, text that we have here does not say that, but we know that from other scriptures. And so Nathan the prophet, being with David, hears what David says, and in verse 3, he gives his hearty approval to this plan. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Now there we see an example already, my friends, how Nathan, with the best of intentions, says something that goes completely the opposite of God's will. Now Nathan wasn't wrong in what he said. Nathan was simply saying what he knew from his own understanding of God's will. That we give our best to God. That we don't hold anything back. And that God shouldn't be living in a tent if you're living in a palace of cedar. But as the old proverb says it, right, man proposes, but God disposes. Man has his plans. And they may be even good plans, God-honoring plans. Again, nothing here that was said was sinful. This is a God-honoring plan. Certainly, uh, David's idea is a good one, right? And uh, uh, Nathan gives his hearty approval to it. But it was not God's will. It was not God's will. And I think we can see here, uh, something of that distinction that we have, and maybe our catechism students remember this from your classes, right? That difference between God's secret will and his revealed will, right? In God's revealed will, he had made known all the things that Nathan the prophet knew, that we should give our best to God. God shouldn't be living in a tent, right? When, 
when, uh, when David is living in a palace of cedar. That was God's revealed will. But God also has a secret will. It's not known to us. It was not known to Nathan. It was not known to David. They would not have made these plans. And now we read in verse 4 that that night God came and he gave Nathan a revelation then of God's secret will. And God's secret will was very different from what David had planned to do. And so now we have God's covenant with David. David had said, I'm going to build God a house. And God completely flips that around and says, David, I'm going to build you a house. Now let's see that in our second point then, God's covenant with David. In the first place, when we read this covenant with David, it doesn't sound that much different from the covenant that we saw previously with Abraham. Remember the three blessings that God gave to Abraham was land, seed, and blessing, that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But land, look at 2 Samuel 7 and verse 10. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 10, where God says to David, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from or as it was in the days of the judges, he says in verse 11, I will give you rest from all your enemies. So that sounds like a repetition then of the land blessing. By the way, you see in this, in this land that, that God again promises David to give him the land, that really all these covenants are, are joined, aren't they? These are all not separate and unique, distinct covenants. I know we, we think of them that way, and that's good just to understand them properly, but really they, they're all connected, aren't they? And, and that's important that we see that there's one plan of redemption that God has for his people. And, and God's covenant of grace is the same in all the different dispensations, right? Through all the history of Israel and before and after. And these covenants, again, are all just chapters in that one book. So you see that. Again, the, the promise of land is given to Israel. But in verse 12, so skip verse 11 and drop down to verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you. So there's a promise of seed. Now, it's not the same promise that God gave to Abraham, right? Because God promised Abraham a multitude of seed, right? Children, as many as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But still, there's a promise of seed here, again, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. So we see some continuity, don't we, with the previous covenants that had gone before. But now comes the unique part of this covenant. Because at the end of verse 11, and that's our text for this morning, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Again, David had this plan in his mind to build a house for God. But isn't that, my friends, how God so often works in our life? That he upsets even good plans. Plans that we had to do this. How many, I wonder how many of I could call up here and give you this microphone. And you could tell us a story from your life of how you planned to do this. And again, let's, let's just assume for now that it was a, a good plan. I'm not talking now about sinful things that you planned to do and that God disrupted, but I'm talking about good things that you were going to do. I was going to step out and do this. And the complete opposite happened. Again, I could certainly share a story like that from my own life. And I'm almost certain that uh, those of you who listened to me this morning could take this microphone and tell me stories, if not multiple stories, about how you had this plan in your life. Man proposes 
But God disposes, right? God has his own decree, his own plan. And that will take place. That will happen. And it's our job as his people to trust that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, God says, David, I'm going to build you a house. Now, what does that mean, that God says, I'm going to build you a house? Well, that means that David will have a seed or sons. And in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house. And now we have the literal meaning of house, right? He shall build a temple. Of course, that's Solomon for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. So this is uh, God's house. Right now, not in a a literal sense, but God is going to have... Uh, David is going to have an eternal dynasty. His his sons are always going to sit on the throne of Israel. If you go to verse 16, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is God's covenant that he makes with David. Now, the second, or the third point that we will consider then is as we did with the previous covenant, it's important to note, my friends, who is responsible for keeping the covenant? Now, you'll remember that when we talked about Abraham and the covenant God made with Abraham and renewed to Isaac and Jacob, that the responsibility for keeping that covenant fell largely upon God. I say largely because, again, Abraham had to stay true to the covenant, right? God said, walk before me and be blameless. It's not that Abraham had no responsibilities. He had to remain true to the covenant. He had to remain true to God. But still, you'll remember that in Genesis 15, when those severed pieces of animal were laid in a row, that it was God in that blazing torch that passed through those severed pieces, which is a symbol of God saying, I, this covenant is my covenant to keep. I've made these promises. I will perform them. Abraham, that's not going to be your task. You remain true to me, but I am going to keep this covenant. I'm going to do it. We saw that very clearly with Abraham. With Moses, we saw the opposite, didn't we? That now, with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, God put the burden for keeping that covenant on Israel. They had to keep the covenant. And we know how that went, right? We know how that worked out in the history of redemption that Israel failed to keep that covenant. And we learned many lessons from that. Their failure leads us to reflect upon our own failure and leads us to the Savior. But remember the difference then between God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. Now when we come to David's covenant, we see again that God places the responsibility for keeping this covenant on himself. This is a covenant that God is going to perform. Again, if you just look with me at these verses in 2 Samuel 7, and you start at verse 9, and just look at the subjects and the verbs here. The subjects and the verbs. In verse 9, it says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And now it begins. And I will make you a great name. Again in verse 10, 
I will also appoint a place for my people Israel. Verse 11, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. At the end of verse 11, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Now in verse 13, we read uh, that he, that is Solomon, shall build a house for my name. Right, But again, that's not, that's not keeping the covenant. That's not a condition God is putting on Solomon, something that he has to do. Right, That is just something that Solomon will do. But God continues then in verse 14, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And in verse 15, my loving kindness shall not depart from him. So you see very clearly that this is a covenant that God is going to keep. God is going to perform. Now, just as in the previous covenants, it's not that God's covenant partners here, David and all the sons of David, have nothing to do, because we also read in verse 14, read with me there in in verse 14, when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. In other words, the He's making a comparison there. Just as fathers discipline their children. So if, my, if, the, if your sons, David, sin against me and commit iniquity, I'm going to discipline them. But then verse 15, But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul. So you see the difference there. Yes, the, uh, the covenant partners here, if I can call them that, David and his sons have to remain true to God. And if they do not do that, God will punish them. God will discipline them. But his loving kindness and the promise that he made will never be removed, will never be taken away. Now, interestingly enough, we have an entire psalm that is dedicated, or that is a a hymn of praise to God in uh, token of this covenant. In Psalm 89, If you turn to Psalm 89 with me a minute, you will see that this psalm, Psalm 89, is a hymn of praise to God for the covenant that he made with David. We're told in the the preface there to this psalm that it's by Ethan the Ezraite. So this man, Ethan, who we know very little about, he wrote this song celebrating God's covenant with David. Again, you can see that in verse 3. And actually, it's interesting, interesting, congregation, that the word covenant never occurs in 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7, God never says, I'm making a covenant with you, David. But we learn that from Psalm 89, verse 3. If you look at verse 3, Psalm 89, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Again, just a repetition of what we had in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This psalm is celebrating the covenant that God made with David. And then all the rest of these verses just confirm this, what we had, what we've said already, that this is God's covenant. This is God's covenant to keep. These are God's promises. He will keep them. He will perform them to the promised seed. Now you can also see in verse 30, again, what we have said already, about all these covenants, if Psalm 89 and verse 30, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, 
nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate. So Psalm 89, a wonderful parallel to read Psalm 89 right next to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now we come then to the fourth point, Jesus' birth. So when we come, my friends, to the New Testament, we notice instantly in the very first verses how interested the authors of the New Testament are to trace the family of Jesus back to David. Matthew 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And there it is. It was important to them that you know that Jesus was a son of David, that he came from the family of David. Furthermore, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, in Matthew 1 and verse 20, so here we have the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and this is what we read for our assurance of pardon today, uh, the angel speaking to Joseph. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, a son of David. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And verse 27. Here we are told, Luke 1 and verse 27. Verse 27, that the, uh, the angel Gabriel appeared to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. If you drop down to verse 32, we're told what he will do. So he is the son of David, but now what will he do? Luke 1 and verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Stay in Luke 1 and go to verse 69. Where here we have the song of Zechariah. And in verse 69, Zechariah sings, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And then last in Luke 2 and verse 4, very familiar words, we are told that this Bethlehem was the city of David. So very clearly, my friends, that these New Testament authors understand the birth of Jesus to be a fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. God promised to David, one of your sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. And now Jesus Christ was born in the city of David, from in the family of David, and he is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the great son of David, who will sit on the throne and reign forever and forever. Now, I want to go back to 2 Samuel 7 and just note those words forever. Because again, we might be tempted to think that this seems to sound, as we first read it, that David will once again be restored to his throne and rule over the literal land of Palestine as the premillennialist 
would have us to believe. But again, we can't miss these words forever. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. No talk there of a thousand years or of a millennium. No, forever. The same words given to us in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, my friends, to make some points of application on this covenant that God made with David. Obviously, my friends, that here this covenant calls us as the people of God to see the Son of David. This is the most Christ-centered, right, that we can possibly get in church this morning. We are to see the Son of David. He is the glorious one, high and lifted up. His sovereignty and his rule is over all the earth. And especially we see this so clearly given to us in the book of Revelation, right, where Jesus sits on the white horse, right? Lightning comes from his mouth. He has a sword at his thigh. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he shall rule forever and forever. But there's another side given to us here, my friends, and maybe you're thinking about that even now. When we were told in 2 Samuel 7, and I want to bring this to your attention in my first application. See the son of David suffering covenant discipline. We made a point of that, didn't we? In verse 14, it says, When he commits iniquity, in other words, David, when your sons commit iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. And at first glance, that wouldn't seem to apply to the Lord Jesus Christ, would it? Since he never failed to sin. And yet we are told in the prophet Isaiah, with his stripes, we are healed. That means he was beaten. He was struck, my friends. His blood did flow. He was nailed to the cross. He suffered covenant discipline. Not for his own sins, but for our sins. And that's what I want to give you, my friends, in this first application this morning. To see the son of David. Yes, certainly this covenant teaches us to see him high and lifted up and sitting on the throne forever and ever. But don't miss the picture, too, that is given us this morning of the Lord Jesus Christ crying out on the cross of Calvary, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me. He suffered the strokes of the discipline that we deserved. He came under God's lash for our sins. See the son of David, my friends, suffering the discipline that we deserve. So also in this time of Advent this morning, we come not just to the cradle of Bethlehem, but we come to the cross of Christ and we see, my friends, and may we be humbled under it. And furthermore, may we be ashamed, my friends, to, to, to experience that sense of shame and grief that the innocent one who kept the covenant perfectly, that's what we considered when we, uh, 
when we thought about the covenant that God made with Israel, he kept the covenant perfectly and never failed, as Israel did on every page of the Old Testament. He kept the covenant perfectly, but this one, this perfect spotless one, came under the lash of God. He suffered the discipline, the same kind of discipline that we give our own children when they sin against us. And the gospel, my friends, that comes out of that that shame that we experience when we see the innocent one suffering for our guilt is that by his stripes, we are healed. The discipline that he came under, my friends, was for our healing and was for our forgiveness. And so, my friends, in these Advent messages this morning, I ask you to see the Son of David under the lash of God, suffering the stripes that we deserved. Now in the second place, my friends, I want to consider, again, that glorious word, forever. Especially to turn to the last page of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, where we are given this picture. Revelation 22, and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. This morning, my friends, we have just that bright morning star to look at. Because when we look at God's covenant with David, and when we contemplate that word forever, then that has to bring us to look not just to the past, but now to look forward. Now to look forward into the, into the ages of eternity future. Because this king reigns forever and forever. And that's the hope we have. That one day the full sun will rise. And Christ will come again on the clouds of heaven. To gather up his people. And to bring them into the new Jerusalem. What a beautiful hope that is. What a wonderful hope that is for us as Christians to contemplate. And to contemplate especially in a time when we're thinking about the first coming of Christ. But my friends, I speak to you now, very experientially in your own life, that isn't it the case that so many times there can come darkness and we can't see that hope so clearly. And maybe it's not so clear in our eye. Maybe we wonder about our own interest in the saving grace of God. And, and it says a cloud comes between that hope and it grows dark in our life. And there can be situations and circumstances in our life that bring us into darkness, that bring us into a time of despair even. And what do we have then during such times? Maybe you feel your health declining. Maybe uh, even just psychologically, my friends, Spiritually, we can come into times when we have so much darkness in our soul. Well, my friends, God's covenant with David teaches us to look up and to see even now in the darkness of the night. Do you see it this morning? That bright morning star. Because no matter how dark it gets, in fact, the darker it gets, the brighter that light shines. And why is it called, children, a morning star? 
Because that star shined in Palestine. They all knew it. More than likely, it was the planet Venus. And it always shone just before the dawn. And that's what I may tell you, people of God, this morning. That no matter how dark it may become, no matter how dark the night may be in your life, no matter what situation you may be coming through, that light never stops shining. And it preaches to you. That bright morning star is a preacher. And far better than any preacher that ever stood in this pulpit. Because it says, I'm a morning star. There's a morning coming. There's the full sun, which will rise in due time. And that, my friends, gives us hope. And so on this Advent Sunday, as we consider the covenant that God made with David, I want you to see, I want you to see it clearly this morning, that bright morning star that is the root and offspring of David and that preaches to us this message, the day is coming. Yes, it is dark now. There may be tears and sorrow and grief in your life now. But there is a morning coming, a beautiful morning, my friends, when the sun will rise in all its splendor and in all its glory, then we won't see the bright morning star anymore because it'll be lost in a blaze of glory that is unthinkable, that never can be surpassed. My friends, I hope that in all the celebration of Advent and of Christmas in our life now, that we never miss our eye to see that bright morning star. Because you know, sometimes our life can be so full of other things that that light begins to grow dim. Isn't it the case, my friends, that the darker our life is, the brighter that star shines. But if, our, if we can find our own light in the things of this world and in the things of time and of sense, then we don't have to look for that light so much. But God can come in our life and he can dislocate our hip. Remember the sermon on Jacob. And he can make us feel the pain and the sorrow of this life and to see the darkness of it so that our eyes are once more lifted up to see that bright morning star. Oh, my friends, I hope that in this Advent season, we would have eyes to see it. I don't hope for trouble or pain in your life or darkness. I certainly don't. But I do hope, my friends, that you would have the eye of faith to look up and to see and to hear the preaching of that bright morning star that comes to us as the root and offspring of David and to fix our hope upon it, to take hold of it with both our hands and never to let it go until, until, the day dawn and the sun rises. Then we shall see him, my friends, with our own eyes. And I has not seen, nor hath ear heard, neither hath it even entered into the heart of man to conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning rejoicing in that bright morning star. Because that star preaches to us of the coming of a full day. And Lord, this morning we've considered the covenant that you made with David. And Lord, we long that there would be place in our hearts for that son of David, the great son of David, who is the fulfillment of that promise, born in a cradle on Christmas morning, lived, suffered, and died for our sins, and was raised again for our glorification. Lord, I do pray that you would bless us then as we consider these things. 
Oh God, take away anything from our life that keeps us from seeing that bright morning star and all the hope and joy that it brings with it. Lord, will you remember us then also this evening? We pray for a good hour together as we gather under your word once again. We pray that you will bless also the program now, Lord. Remember us in your mercy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn now in the blue hymnal to number 338. Number 338, we'll sing in verse 2. To you in David's town this day is born of David's line, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So all six verses of number 338 in the blue hymnal.
dear congregation, on behalf of our, my own family, we reflect on the fact that yesterday it was two years since we were installed as your pastor in this congregation, and we want to extend our hearty thanks for the uh, warmth of the congregation and the blessing that you've been to us in these last two years, and we pray that we might continue to be a blessing to each other as we continue forward in ministry here. So we thank you for that gift to us. Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.